Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast for Wednesday, August 19th. I am Michael Beller. Guys, introducing this show is always fun because I love to throw it to you, and I never really know what's going to happen, who's going to jump in first, who's going to have something pithy to say. It's great. So, what's up? How's it going? Jake Seeley, Brandon Funston, how you guys doing today? Shut up. <laughs> no, I, I'm I can always count on you. I'm the one up two to three hours earlier than than both of you guys, so I'm the one that gets to go second and say shut up. So Jake, you stole you stole my line. Uh, man, that's true. We are so we are recording this at my time in the Central Time Zone. It is nine forty a.m. Jake's in the Eastern Time Zone, ten forty. Brandon doing the heavy lifting for us out there in Seattle, where it feels like it's still yesterday, uh, as far as I'm concerned. So uh, thank you very much, Brandon, for loosening up our schedules by uh, waking up so early and doing the show. Yeah, happy to oblige. The heavy lifting was my head off the pillow, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Man, well, we're going to talk some more wide receivers here on today's show uh, before getting into some division previews. Uh, Hard to believe, guys, but tomorrow is Thursday, August 20th. That puts us uh, 27, 3, 10, three weeks away from week one, from the very first game of the season, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Houston Texans, three weeks from tomorrow. We haven't had the usual rhythm of minicamp, OTA, offseason, preseason, training camp, preseason games. It just hasn't been that usual rhythm that we're used to. So hard to believe that we are three weeks away from the start of the season, but that is exactly where we stand. We are really getting into the height of, of draft season. I think starting this weekend is when you're going to see a lot of people's fantasy drafts go off and we're going to help you get prepared for those on every single episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. Let's talk wide receivers, guys. We talked about this position last week and we left so much on the table. We hinted at it at the end of last week's episode. This is a very deep position. You really can't cover it in just one episode. Last week we talked undervalued, overvalued, and before we knew it, We had 50 minutes in the bag, and we had to call it a show, so we're coming back with another wide receiver-focused episode, and we started crafting this episode operating from the premise that wide receiver is very deep, potentially as deep as it's ever been. And I just want to make sure before we get going, that doesn't go begging, right? I mean, this is a premise that is on strong ground. Are we on the same page that this is as deep a position as it's ever been? We say it every year, and it only feels like it gets more true every year. And it almost at this point, I say that we say it every year because it's starting to sound cliche. But mm-hmm. I mean, when you have the help of the draft that we just saw, one of the better classes, and then like really good talent over the past couple of years, and now it's just getting deeper. The biggest way I can look at it, or the best way I should say that I can look at it, and I'm sure Brandon's going to agree. Uh, the reason I've even suggested zero wide receiver, not zero wide receiver, you know, that's actually kind of become a cliche word in and of itself, the zero, because what is zero? I mean, we were waiting until the 10th round to not draft something. But to go back to what I was about to say, I was like, I'm talking about wide receiver 50 in my rankings, people we've talked about being undervalued, like Brandon Cooks, Debo Samuel because of the injury, Jerry Judy, rookie, Mecole Hardman, Jalen Rager, rookie, Golden Tate. I mean, these are the guys after 50, like that. Those kind of names, you, if anything breaks right with those guys, they could be inside the top 30. Like, And that's the point about how deep the wide receiver position is. Yeah, I think that's the – Jake kind of touched on it there, mentioning a couple rookies. You know, last year uh, – we, well, we love this this year's talent in the rookie class, but last year we loved that group as well. And we saw five receivers finish in the top 35, and that was Darius Slayton as number 35, but A.J. Brown, Terry McLaurin, Debo, uh, and D.K. Metcalf. You could argue there's five rookies this year 
that are sitting in better positions going into the season than all of those guys were. I mean, Brandon Ayuk's going to likely be the number one in San Francisco. Henry Ruggs likely the number one with the Raiders. Jerry Judy and Justin Jefferson have seemingly lock-solid spots there. Jalen Rieger as well. Like, if it's typical, I mean, every year we see a rookie finish in the top 20, and you know, or at least in the last three years we have. And we saw a bunch of guys finish as wide receiver threes last year. None of those guys are being ranked inside the top 40 right now. And there's a very good chance, as Jake mentioned, that some of those guys will for sure end up inside, you know, inside that group. So we're not even counting those guys. But then you look at the – if I look at my rankings from like 15 to 27, I could – almost talk myself into the 27th guy being 15 like there's that there's that close of a margin it's a bunch of really good guys in those kind of uh, you know the early middle rounds that you can target in drafts and and feel good about if you you know if you pass on a guy at 15 I'm like okay well I'll have a guy you know in the 20s that I love almost as much yeah, I actually want to make two quick points before I transition us to our next wide receiver topic. Uh, the, the way that I think about this position being so deep is um, a little bit a higher class of a version than what you said, Jake. You talk about all those guys after 50 who thinks could break right for. How about we just go up to the guys inside the top 30 at the position by ADP and think about how things, how well things could go for them. Guys like DJ Chark, Terry McLaurin, Stephon Diggs, T.Y. Hilton. We have guys on that list who have been wide receiver ones in recent memory and they are nowhere near the wide receiver one class this year you really can't find a name that you don't like maybe a name you don't like at ADP but there are very few guys inside the top 30 the top 40 at this position that too many people are going to be you know totally turned off by uh, because of their style of play and then another thing that you guys are talking about here the depth of the last two rookie classes I think it's just a change stylistically in what the sport of football is. DK Metcalf is 6'4", 230. A few years, if DK Metcalf played in a different era of football, someone would have turned him into a linebacker or a defensive end, right? Someone would have put a little bit more weight on him and made him into a completely different player. But now we are taking these guys, and with the passing revolution and with, uh, with offensive football being the way of the future and turning guys who would have maybe been defensive ends or linebackers or small speedy guys who maybe would have been running backs uh, like Marquise Brown, we're turning all these guys into wide receivers. It has become a big-time glory position, a glamour position, and I think that's something that is just going to continue feeding into the NFL for years to come. So all of that helping this be a deep position. And with it being so deep, and with running back still being as powerful as it is in terms of being the foundation of some great teams, I'm wondering, is there any situation in which you could see yourself going wide receiver, wide receiver with your first two picks? Jake, why don't you take this first? No, absolutely not. And there's not even a question in my mind. And I, and I always tell people, you know, don't predict the draft. Don't try and say, hey, I'm at 110. Who should I take? Because you just never know how it's going to break down. Perfect example is 110. I was in a draft where Michael Thomas almost made it there. He almost made he made it to nine just because everybody was taking running backs, which is probably the biggest run I've seen to start a draft so far. But if I did have Michael Thomas, if I was at the end of the first round and maybe thought about taking Devontae Adams, uh, there's no way I'm not coming back with a running back. It, it's starting wide receiver, wide receiver sounds a lot of fun. And, you know, you say that you could start with Michael Thomas and Julio Jones or somebody like that does sound super impressive. Uh, but what happens? Here's my biggest concern. I might think about it, and, I, and I'm curious if Brandon's going to say the same thing. I might think about it from the end of the second round. Like, let's say I took Thomas at 105, and then at you know 207, I take Julio Jones because he's still there. 
and I have somewhat of a quick turnaround in the third, then I could say, okay, maybe I think Chris Carson might fall there, and he's my number one, mm-hmm. and I can live with that. But depending on what the board is, like if Chris Carson comes off, James Conner comes off, you know, those guys that we're even high on that have some type of injury risk, and now you're looking at your number one might be a rookie like Jonathan Taylor or a David Montgomery who's extremely questionable, like he's banking a lot on, uh, banking a lot on workload. That's my concern. Like, I don't want that as my number one running back. So, I mean, I, I said absolutely not, but I guess there's maybe like a 10% chance that I would, just in case like two tight ends came off the board and I could right. see a running back coming back in the third, but it's risky. It would have to be mid-round, though. You're not going to be sitting at the uh, you know one-two turn and take Tyree Kill and Julio Jones. Yeah. Right. Right, exactly. Yeah, I was, you know, more. I think I would be like, like Jake said, it would probably be the Michael Thomas pairing because you, you know, and it'd probably be because I ended up picking Thomas. Maybe he fell a little bit. Maybe I'm picking in the middle of the first round of a 12 team league. I get him at six or seven. You know, I kind of look at the running back position and there's about 13 running backs that I would, you know, consider towards the back end of the, you know, at least consider for first round at some point, you know, and so typically those guys empty out in the uh, early second round. Uh, so if I'm, if I'm picking at the, at the turn, I'm usually getting one of those guys along with a Julio Jones or a Devonte Adams. So I'm, I'm almost always pairing a running back and wide receiver if I'm picking late in the first round, but it, it would probably be Michael Thomas where a bunch of those running backs that I think are kind of, you know, considerable first round guys that just get emptied out in the, in the early second round. And there I am kind of mid to late second round going, well, Look at DeAndre Hopkins fell, or Tyree Kill is there, or maybe Devontae Adams fell. You know, it's like, okay, I'll just go Thomas and one of those guys and then hope for like a Chris Carson or somebody in the third round on the comeback. Yeah, if you look at the players who are getting drafted anywhere between about nine and about 18 uh, in your typical draft, you've got a group of Miles Sanders, Joe Mixon, Devontae Adams, Kenyon Drake, Aaron Jones, Tyree Kill, Nick Chubb, Austin Eckler, Josh Jacobs, Julio Jones. A lot of attractive running back wide receiver pairings there. We are all in agreement on this one. Wide receiver, wide receiver, very hard to pull off. And even though conventionally we think of it as the way I posed it to you, something where you're at the one-two turn and you are getting the wide receiver two and three overall on the board, I think the only realistic way to do it and not totally kill yourself at the running back position is exactly the way you guys described. You get Michael Thomas in the middle of the first round, another big-time receiver makes it to you, and you can still come around quickly in that third round and take a running back. So that leads us right into our next discussion, which is how does wide receivers' depth end up influencing our overall draft strategy? And I guess you can't totally decouple this from the importance of running backs and the uh, the fact that there just aren't as many true workhorses that we trust. I don't think any of us want to be building our running back core from those mid-tier guys. I don't think anyone wants to be looking at a group of you know, Melvin Gordon, Todd Gurley, Jonathan Taylor, Le'Veon Bell, guys like that as their RB1 and RB2. So many people are prioritizing running back early. We know what the depth of this pool at wide receiver is. How does that influence our overall draft strategy going into any sort of draft or auction? It comes down to, you know, once you get past those first few rounds, you know, understanding like how big the tier might be. You know, you said it before. I was going to chime in and say that, like, if you took wide receiver 12 and went all the way down to Terry McLaurin, who I have at 24, I wish I could put Terry McLaurin higher. And to be honest with you, the you switch to so A.J. Brown's 12th. You flip-flop them, I could see it being plausible. Like, if you have a favorite in that group, 
go ahead. And it's the same for the group after that. You start at T.Y. Hilton for 25 and you go all the way down to, heck, like CeeDee Lamb at 39. Like, do we really see a, a scenario where they don't potentially finish very close to each other or like a Tyler Boyd and a Marquise Brown or, you know, the Henry Ruggs that Brandon brought up before and you guys know how much I love him? Like, I think that's how you have to look at it is if you're on the board and it's like, okay, do I take – you know, a risky upside running back who, you know, is in a split situation but might be able to break free and provide some value? Or do I take a wide receiver here? Well, you you know, people do tiers all the time, and I think you can get caught using tiers sometimes. But a good example would be, like, for me, I have a ton of DeAndre Swift, and I am uh, somebody who do does believe that, unlike Jonathan Taylor, I think he has a clearer path. Instead of taking Marquise Brown, I'll take DeAndre Swift because if I don't get Marquise Brown, okay, fine. I'll wait another round and still get Sterling Shepard like, or still get Christian Kirk or something like that. You know, they're so closely grouped that you can take a shot at tight end or take a shot on maybe drafting your quarterback earlier than you would or getting a running back just to fill out your depth because the wide receivers are still going to be there. Yeah, you know, I think it's a great year to be picking wide receivers. If you, I haven't just noticed in the, the few drafts I've been in so far, I've been in kind of more towards the turns than in the middle. And so many times I'll come into my first pick of the turn and I'll be looking at a like a running back or a tight end that might be a little bit of a reach. But the wide receivers there might be like Terry McLaurin, DJ Chark, and Cortland Sutton. I love all of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, you know what? I'm going to let somebody else make that decision on the receivers. I'm going to take the reach at the running back or maybe grab a Mark Andrews at tight end or something because I know – that I will have one of those three receivers as an option on the comeback. So I think there's a lot of that going on in the middle rounds where you will, you'll, you know, see three, four receivers that you like kind of sort of equally and allows you to go a different direction and just kind of sit and wait sort of to the point that Jake said, just wait another round on the comeback and get a guy that you like very much, you know, similar to the guy that maybe went the round before. I mean, I've really have not at one point in any of my drafts this year felt bad about a wide receiver. I was taking. I've always felt that this is a good pick and that there were multiple receivers who I could say the same thing about. And that really is a luxury for all of us this year. And it does help drive what you were going to do early on in drafts. I know we're mostly talking receivers here, but Jake, you brought up a guy who I feel like is vaulting up draft boards as we get into the heart of draft season. When did DeAndre Swift become like the guy? Everyone knows Clyde Edwards Hilaire is the rookie running back uh, who's going to have the highest ADP totally justified but DeAndre Swift seems to be everyone's favorite target at cost when did that happen uh well if it was for me it was as soon as they drafted him <laughs> <It's> been, <laughs> yeah I've been on this campaign since they drafted him the fact that like he's similar to Jonathan Taylor he's definitively better than anybody else in that backfield where if you want to say everybody's healthy for both teams this is what I keep saying is Jonathan Taylor even if he supplanted and Marlon Mack wasn't a thing by week one, which I think was always a possibility, but we hear it, you know, with this offseason that it might not, and it could take a few weeks, which is fine, but he still has Naeem Hines to deal with. Jonathan Taylor is a good pass catcher, better than people realize, but Naeem Hines is still mm-hmm. a great pass catcher, you know, and that's going to be something that's involved in that offense. If DeAndre Swift has the backfield to himself and does push on Johnson aside, he has the backfield. Like, there's no pass catcher back there that's both Scarborough, I forget off the top of my head. I'm, I'm blank. Um, the, the other running back that's supposed to replace Ty Johnson. I can't remember off the top of my head. His name is escaping me. But 
it's DeAndre Swift's backfield. He has one guy to really supplant, and that's the only thing there. And so Carryon Johnson, the reason he's starting to move up Swift now is because Carryon Johnson sounds like he's not 100% still. So right. now people are coming around on Swift. But for my opinion, you guys know this, and Brandon knows this because he's been editing my pieces since the draft, is that as soon as they drafted DeAndre Swift, that was his backfield in my opinion. Yeah, you know, I love Carryon Johnson. I loved him coming out of college. I, I think he had he not had the knee issues um, – was a very capable, fully, you know, fully featured skill set type of back. But I, I think they just know that he's not going to be able to stay healthy. He's wearing a knee brace. It's August 16th. And he's wearing a, it was August, you know, it's mm -hmm. like mid August here. And he's wearing a knee brace. This is a guy that's had knee issues each of his first two years. So uh, I guess for me, I was trying to hold out and carry on Johnson, but that kind of was uh, sort of the nail in the coffin to where I have to say, okay, there's going to be, a decided DeAndre Swift advantage in this backfield. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure about that. Yeah, the knee brace issue, which came up on Tuesday's practice, DVR and I talked about that on Wednesday's episode of Fantasy Football in 15. On the right knee, he tore the right meniscus last year. Uh, obviously, it uh, could just be precautionary, but certainly not the way that you want to start off training camp if you are carry-on Johnson. I'm with you guys on DeAndre Swift being that guy, let me just say really quickly, 41 games played at Wisconsin for Jonathan Taylor. I feel comfortable saying I watched the vast majority of 38 of those. He's not going to be kept off the field for too long by anyone in <laughs> Indianapolis. This dude is a star in the making. But we're talking wide receivers here, so that's enough running back talk uh, for now. Uh, let's get back to this position. Like I said, really no one at this position who I don't like right in, in a vacuum. Obviously, there are players at cost who – I'm not necessarily getting into. There are players at cost who I like quite a bit. We talked about that in overvalued and undervalued last week. Be sure to check that out if you haven't already. But in general, I think every player at this position, 1 through 35, is a good player who I could see on my team under most circumstances. But there are some guys who I find myself avoiding uh, because of uh, the cost. Even guys who I like. Are there any guys that you guys like, guys that you would love to have on your team? And I wouldn't say this necessarily is just a repackaged version of them being overvalued, but because of cost, you just don't see it happening? Uh, I could throw out a guy. I'll, I'll say Chris Godwin. I was one of the highest guys on him last year. I think everybody knew he was going to have a breakout season, and he broke out in a massive way. And I would hap I'd happily have him on my teams, but the price is pretty high. And there's just a little, you know, nagging feeling in the back of my brain that they've shuffled up this offense so much that we just can't you just can't go into this season thinking it's business as usual with what we saw last year in the hierarchy of Chris Godwin for sure being the, you know, the biggest target share guy that that Tom Brady won't end up ultimately, you know, utilizing Mike Evans in the way that Mike Evans becomes the guy that has a better fantasy value or that the tight ends become a much bigger part of this deal. And Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are now, you know, slightly lesser versions of what they were last year. So I love Chris Godwin, the talent. I know he's going to be a good player. I just am not quite to the point where I can any longer feel good about using like the wide receiver six pick on him. That's usually where I end up going uh, running back, you know, I just, and uh, yeah. So I, I think he's the, he's the poster player uh, for this question for me. Yeah. I, I actually do have a little bit of Godwin. I'm a little bit more positive than Brandon, but I mean, I don't, I'm not going to say it can't go wrong. <laughs> I'm mm -hmm. not saying going to say it can't be Mike Evans. Number one. And even with the recent report that Gronkowski might be third in snaps, like, it, okay, when he's out there, he's going to, when he's out there, he's going to be used. Like, it's kind of like, I don't even care if he is third. Let's say that, yeah. that report 
is true from Mike Florio. Let's say it's 100% true. Uh, like, okay, well, guess what? When he's on the field, he's going to be used. Unlike O.J. Howard, who's on the field and gets ignored because he's blocking <laughs> all the time. Uh, yep. So, But I'm not going to say that it might not be Mike Evans as the number one. Chris Godwin fits Tom Brady, but I agree with Brandon. It's like, we don't know for sure. Like, we can make our best educated guesses, but until we see it played out, it could go completely the opposite direction. Heck, I mean, is there not a scenario where it's Mike Evans and Watson? And like somehow Godwin becomes kind of left out every other week. I, I, I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen. I would be odds against it, but I can see that. The one I feel like I want to be in on because I love him so much as a player. And even as much as I love him, he shocked me as a rookie, mostly because of the offense that he's in. It's A.J. Brown. Uh, just I have him at 12. I just haven't gotten him anywhere. And I think he's kind of still going right around there, but... It feels like I'm getting the Galladay, the Robinsons, the, even the Juju Smith-Schusters, and especially Thielen because I love Thielen this year. Everybody knows that. But it feels like A.J. Brown's going like right there, and it's usually one of those others is still on the board. And by the next pick, he's gone. And I just I haven't got a piece of A.J. Brown yet. I think A.J. Brown's a little bit polarizing. I, like, I think A.J. Brown's a great talent, too. I think in every draft, there is a just a, a complete bullish yes. person on A.J. <laughs> yes. Brown. You know, if, if if it's not you, then you're never going to get him. Right. So that's exactly the way it is. Same with DJ Moore. Like DJ Moore feels like somebody wants to take him as a top 10 wide receiver. And if you're not that guy, you you don't get him if you're not that guy. And I'm not that guy. You are not that guy. You are decidedly not that guy on DJ Moore. I hate (laughs) DJ Moore, apparently. Are you not? I mean, all right, let's talk about this. Because I actually wanted to, when you first brought up Chris Godwin, I wanted to talk about team context for a second. Um, so let's. I'm going to table the Chris Godwin, Mike Evans talk, uh, and instead look at Carolina here. DJ Moore, uh, I, I think he's pretty clearly the number one receiver on this Carolina team. You look at the rest of that team, probably a bad defense, a new offensive infrastructure coming in with Matt Rule, Joe Brady, and Teddy Bridgewater. It seems like the sort of team that we would normally want to invest in from a fantasy perspective, almost like last year's Buccaneers, right? Bad team, bad defense, and look at all the yards and touchdowns they were able to pile up seems like the Panthers could be a version of that this year what concerns me though is this year being the year 2020 everything that every single person has had to deal with let alone football team uh, in this bizarre year that we've uh, had of our lives this year and you're talking about an entirely new offensive infrastructure a coach coming from college uh, OC coming from college and Joe Brady we all know what he did at LSU but still importing that system back to the NFL, a new quarterback, just not a lot of continuity. That's what scares me about DJ Moore and pretty much every non-McCaffrey player on Carolina more than anything. And 100%. And that's and not even that. Let's just start with Teddy Bridgewater. Let's start if Teddy Bridgewater hey was on this. <laughs> I, I, am, I, mean, like, I, I just I have I don't have a huge amount of faith in Teddy Bridgewater. Kind of where I'm well, that's the thing. Like, so the good news is that DJ Moore actually kind of fits Teddy Bridgewater because Teddy Bridgewater's concern is his downfield ability and like his long ball and the accuracy there. Like, so Curtis Samuel dinged, Robbie Anderson dinged. Uh, but that's the way. thing. Like, Robbie Anderson's in the mix now. Curtis Samuel's not a slouch, although he looks like he might be third now. Uh, Ian Thomas, everybody wanted him to happen last year. We talked about it on the last show and the fact that Ian Thomas could be somebody that kind of breaks out this year with no Greg Olson, but. There's two things. It's one is Teddy Bridgewater, as I said, and it's what you just said too, Mike. It's not just Teddy Bridgewater. He's on a new team with a new offense, and it's not just a new offense. It's a new offense that didn't even exist last year because the coaches didn't <laughs> exist in the NFL last year. Uh, Joe Brady turned LSU into a god of fantasy football, if you're thinking about that for the NFL, what he did to that offense. But it, is it going to work? We hope it's going to work. Like We know 
if everything works right with Rule and Brady and Bridgewater and DJ Moore, like if everything works as it just did with LSU, well, we could be talking about Teddy Bridgewater as a top 10 quarterback and DJ Moore could be a top 10 wide receiver and everything. But the thing is, there's so many concerns of if it doesn't work, if Bridgewater doesn't take a step forward, if they don't attempt 600 passes. And then even if they do, you said it, Brandon said it, this offense starts and ends with Christian McCaffrey. Everybody else gets in line behind them. So it just it seems like everybody's thinking only best case with this team. All right, let's get into some of the other teams that I want to talk about here. Tampa is one, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. Atlanta is another, Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. Is there any scenario in which you are stacking those two guys? Can you see that happening? And obviously it's not always going to be possible. But let's just say in a world where it is possible, where you can get these two guys together, is there enough juice in these offenses that you are comfortable doing that? I think on a, on a lesser level you could – throw maybe Dallas into that discussion with Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup, maybe Seattle, although no, I don't think we're not you're going to get enough. Amari Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to get enough out of uh, the Tyler Lockett. I just don't think there's enough in that passing game where you're going to want two guys from that passing offense in there. But Tampa and Atlanta stand out to me as teams where it's workable. It's worked before. Peyton Manning's typically been involved, but we've seen that work before, and it does feel workable, at least with those two teams this season. Yeah, you know, it's something that I think it goes back to just the depths of things. I, 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 When I think about, okay, I got Julio Jones and, you know, now Calvin Ridley sitting there. This is kind of where there's always two other guys that are close in value on my rankings. And as I start to project forward, like, man, in, in whatever week they have their bye, do I want to be looking for two top wide receiver replacements? Um Te normally I would just say I, I, I look at players in a vacuum and I don't care what team they're on and I don't care when their buys are, but I would be lying if I said that actually when, you know, when I'm in the middle of a live draft, that doesn't come into my mind a little bit. So typically I'm not often pairing guys at the receiver position from the same team. Yeah. Look, I'll kind of throw it back and ask you guys a question in a different way. <laughs> Were you upset when Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb were inside the top 10? <laughs> were you upset when the two Broncos were inside the top 10? Like, mm -hmm. it could definitely work. And, you know, the, the downside is if any one week goes wrong, and it doesn't even have to go wrong where the offense isn't clicking, it could just be something happened early, running back got a touchdown, defense gets a touchdown, they're up 14 nothing, and now all of a sudden they're running the ball the rest of the game. Like, they, that's how it can go wrong. But – you know, more often than not, when it is that good, like I guess the question comes to anybody out there, if you truly believe Godwin and Mike Evans are both wide receiver ones this year, if you think Calvin Ridley is going to take another step forward and push himself inside the top 15, then yeah, I'd be okay with that. I would certainly not target it. And the only way it would ever happen on my team is just if Mike Evans was falling and somehow Mike Evans was still on the board when DJ Moore, DJ Chark, Keenan Allen are still there or, or coming off and he's in that range, uh, similar to Calvin Ridley. If Calvin Ridley falls down and now he's in the borderline wide receiver three range with like AJ Green and DK Metcalf and stuff like that, I would take Ridley. But it would have to be a scenario like that. Like I'm not actively going to, to target it. Absolutely not. But if it happened, I wouldn't hate it. Here's a, I think here's a question for you guys. Yeah. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin or Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley? If you had to pair, which pair would you choose? Buccaneers. Buccaneers. That easily? That quickly? Yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> Not, Not even 97%. <laughs> no, because ultimately what? land on that, but it's actually very close to me because I love Julio Jones. He's my number two. Um, and yeah. No, here's what I go to. I'll, I'll tell you why. It's, it, there's two reasons. Let's compare the backfields. 
And of course, you know, Todd Gurley could get hurt in week three and be done. But, you know, compare the backfields, not even a question, it's Atlanta. Compare the tight ends. Uh, we're talking about Gronkowski in his prime wouldn't even be a question versus Hurst. But let's just go back to Hooper. They actually have a legitimate third option. Gronkowski might not be there in snaps, so you, you know, and he might be very touchdown related. But, you know, what if Gronkowski's touchdown heavy season is, you know, 50 catches? Well, the volume is going to go through Evans. Like, see, that's where it comes down to. Even the third wide receiver gets more involved for the Falcons than they do for the Buccaneers this year. You know, it's going to be Watson versus Russell Gage. Russell Gage has already been involved. Mm-hmm. I think I'd lean out the Buccaneers too, but I'm not. I'm not quite as 100-0 as you are there, Jake. No, oh, 100-0. Right, 99, 99 How about that? Julio is for sure the best of the four. Yeah, yeah. I'm seven. Uh, I would be 70-30. You don't think Julio's for sure the best of those four guys? Fan, real life, absolutely. No, fantasy no, yeah. wise, yeah. No, we're talking fantasy here. Fantasy wise, I know we're talking I, fantasy here. <laughs> the look, the fantasy wise, Chris Godwin just topped him. He's not anymore, and that's it. Just comes down to touchdowns. Like Julio, I, Julio is one of the. It's arguably no. You know what? I'd say he's in the contention to be the number one. Like Michael Thomas, amazing. Julio Jones, all around game. You argue is better than Michael Thomas. Like Julio Jones should be scoring more touchdowns. He should for his entire career. But if we're talking fantasy, he just finished behind Chris Godwin. He just finished. I think actually he finished behind Mike Evans too, didn't he? No, if he I'm, finished actually gonna, third. If I'm looking at it right now, I half, thought he was in fourth. Half PPR in total. In All right, total but points. still behind Chris yeah. Godwin. Chris Godwin in one less game played. Mm-hmm. So here's so, the deal. Mike Evans only played 13 games. He averaged 15.2 half PPR points, and Julio averaged 15. But Julio played 15. Yeah. So yeah. okay, that's what I was. Yeah, that's what I yeah, was thinking of. So there you go. Like even in a points per game, he finished behind Chris Godwin in a point and a half per game. Chris Godwin's already passed him. Well, that no more Jameis this year. Jameis was perfect for fantasy. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about fantasy versus reality? Tom Brady, big step up in reality. Maybe a step back in fantasy though. Yeah, there's changes on both sides. And you look at Julio Jones' targets after Sanu was gone. It was through the roof. And you, you lose Hooper and you lose Freeman. And now you got, yes, Hayden Hurst and Todd Gurley. But both of those replacements might be lesser targeted players than Freeman and Hooper were. So if, you know, mm-hmm. if they're distributing those out, maybe Julio Jones continues to get that, you know, that target load that he saw after Sanu was gone at midseason. Just saying it's a little closer than you think it is, Jake. But uh, we could talk about that no. for forever. But uh, <laughs> we have other things we have to get to. And one thing we have to get to is talking about everyone's favorite thing, student loan payments, right? If your student loan payment is too high, you can refinance now and almost for sure get a better deal with Earnest. If you've been making the same monthly payment on those student loans for the last couple of years, reduce now and save by refinancing with Earnest. Even if you've done this before, today's low rate environment makes it a perfect time to do it again. Uh, You can check your rate very fast, very easily. All you got to do is go online, answer two questions, literally two questions. It'll take two minutes, and then you get a personalized rate estimate without affecting your credit score. The internet loves earnest customer service, rated a 9.4 out of 10 on Trustpilot. No origination fee, no other fees either. Right now, you can get a $100 cash bonus when you refinance a student loan with earnest. If you go to earnest.com slash throwback once again a 100 dollars cash bonus when you refi your student loan at earnest.com slash throwback not available in all states visit earnest.com slash throwback for more details terms and conditions apply earnest student loan refinance loans are made by earnest operations llc nmls number 1204917 california financing law license number 605-4788-303 2nd street suite 401n 
San Francisco, California, 94107. Visit earnest.com slash licenses for a full list of licensed states. All right, guys, we could talk Tampa. We could talk Atlanta. We could do that for a very long time. I'm a happy, I'm, I'll be happy to have any four of those guys, but let's just move on and talk about something that I've titled Properly Valued! Exclamation point. Last week, we talked overvalued and undervalued wide receivers. Not everyone's going to fit those categories, and they don't have to. There are plenty of guys who are properly valued going where they should go, and we still like them. We're still going to target them aggressively. Funston, since you took the time to put some guys down in the sheet, I'm going to let you go first here. Who is someone who you think is properly valued, exclamation point TM, but that you are still happy to go after aggressively? Yeah, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. We've talked about him before on this pod. Um, I think we're all in agreement here that he's somewhat – and I know, Beller, you have Thielen on Adam Thielen on your list. You've already brought up how much you like him. I, I kind of see them in similar boats here that they're going to be the clear go-to guy and should see a ton of targets. And that's, you know, that's what volume is job one in fantasy. So any of those guys, um, I'm just all in on Terry McLaurin, obviously the clear number one there question, you know, a little bit more of a question mark with the quarterback for him, but uh, still they're going to be throwing the ball a lot. And Terry McLaurin is, you know, standing uh, very clear as the go-to option there so those are a couple of guys uh alan robinson look at alan robinson properly value he got 98 catches what seven touchdowns and well over a thousand yards with probably the worst case scenario in chicago for him with mr bisky uh we were i'm guessing you as a bears fan hope that bringing in nick Foles uh that he ends up being the guy and gives him a you know another level of passing i don't know acum- do you see did you hear cordero patterson yesterday Mitch not. looks like a completely new player, according to Cordero Patterson. You never uh, know. He, w- he looked good enough at the combine <laughs> and in all those things to be a you know a high first round pick. We know what he can look like uh, when the bullets aren't flying. Uh, when the bullets are flying, he throws about one good pass a game, which we talked about before. But uh, uh, Allen Robinson still managed to put up great numbers in that environment. So. I don't have any problem picking him as kind of like a back-end top 10, top 12 wide receiver, knowing that in a worst-case scenario, those are the numbers he was capable of putting up, and there is you know, some reasonable expectation for a higher upside passing game in Chicago this year. I think there's quite a few. You know who else looks great so far? Sam Darnold, too. Like, did you not see the one pass to Chris Herndon? I mean, everything is amazing now. You see, that, uh, you see that ball Josh Allen threw downfield perfect right on the numbers to John Brown? Woo! Yeah, get that guy an MVP award. He's throwing people open now. Apparently, (laughs) I started my like the article, the fantasy one hundred and one, that section where I talked about off season hype. I started with it. I tweeted that out yesterday. It's like we sit there the entire off season, like don't overreact to training Uh camp, and then day one of training camp, everybody goes bonkers over one highlight play. Tweeting out pictures of AJ Dillon's legs. I love the report that Darnold was was destroying the Jets defense in (laughs) non pad practices. It's great. Well, let's have is the Jets defense. I would hope, yeah, right. he, like, if he's not destroying him, just cut him. Like, but uh, uh, to go back to the properly priced, I'm gonna look at it a little bit differently. Is some of the ones that are properly suppressed, in my opinion, just for the risk associated, like. Quilton Sutton, I was surprised he wasn't near wide receiver one, and I think a lot of people are concerned that or at full season of Drew Locke, they drafted Judy. There's a lot of options here. My, you know, Melvin Gordon's in the mix now. Uh, so to see him around or wide receiver 17 feels proper. Uh, Tyler Lockett at wide receiver 19, I like think that feels – he started lower. That's why I'm talking about him. He's actually up a little bit. But Keenan Allen at 20, like this whole range feels right. But if exactly. you want to go a little bit deeper – 
to somebody who like definitely feels right and you know honestly would be uh, wouldn't be a shock if he put his name in that conversation i feel like drafting marquise brown right around 32 33 is the perfect spot like the upside is top 25 the upside honestly the upside is top 20 uh, the peak of Deshaun Jackson that people don't want to remember is for two, two, three years in a row, he was a lot more consistent than people realize. It was 12 out of good 16 games. It was actually very much more like Amari Cooper last year. Uh, but people just remember how much of a roller coaster he was for the majority of his career. And that could be Marquise Brown. But at 33, you're baking in that risk. And that's a nice spot where, you know, okay, maybe he you just want him as your wide receiver three every single week. So I love that spot. I'd take him a few spots ahead of that, but I feel like that's a really nice place where people should be taking him. All right, guys, I need to I need to do a quick thing here because um, I hinted at Tyler Lockett and me being a little wary of him last week. We didn't get into it. Jake, you just brought him up again. I have to bring it up again because am I crazy? Or is he like a little bit more risky week to week than we are giving credit for? I mean, if you just look at his game logs from last year, uh, week one, he had one catch on two targets. The one catch happened to be a 44-yard touchdown. Next two games, big. Weeks after that, four targets, four targets, five targets, seven targets, six targets. Then a huge 18-target game against Tampa where uh, the the Seahawks put up 40 points. Four targets, two targets, three targets, six targets. Uh, There is one, two, three, four games in here with one or zero catches. Like, Week to week, I'm not sure he deserves the uh, the consistency love that he seems to get from the fantasy community. Brandon, I mean, I-, I know you disagree, you. so why don't you take this? How dare you? <laughs> um, well, uh, I guess then there, this is not uncommon of a lot of wide receivers, in my mind. I mean, you could say the same thing about Amari Cooper. Uh, you could say the same thing about Stephon Diggs. Um, there's there's plenty of guys that have been roller coasters. But we do say that about those guys. No one says this about Tyler Lockett. Yeah, but then we also draft Amari Cooper. You know, we were drafting Amari Cooper higher than Tyler Lockett, and we're you know we're we're still we're still giving them their their due. And yeah, I, I think that's fair. That's really to me is just the nature of that Seattle offense. Um, but I'm of the mind I think they're going to let you know. There's a huge push. Let Russ cook. That's what everybody's saying around here, and even. <laughs> Even Russell Wilson came out and said, you know what? We need to do in the first quarter what we typically have to do in the fourth quarter, you know? Mr. Unlimited. Yeah, exactly. And so (laughs) in my mind, I think there's the the potential that Seattle will actually throw the ball a little bit more this year. But I I do think that's just kind of the nature of the Seattle offense that you're going to get some of the inconsistencies at the wide receiver position. So you have to bake that into Tyler Lockett's value. If he's not 19, as Jake says, probably shouldn't drop – too much farther than the low teens because I think in the end the, the the numbers will be there it'll just be a little bit of a high low ride Jake you want to say anything about Lockett or you want to move on no I'll definitely I, I was gonna I chuckled because I how about the top 20s because that's where I have them like the, I'm with Brandon though and the fact that I don't understand the hate for Lockett I'm still drafting Lockett in front of DK Metcalf uh, your question of volatility yeah. was more in play in the second half when DK Metcalf beca- became more of a thing. So that's why I understand the concern for next year. But the one thing that a lot of people, you didn't say it, so I'm not saying you are, but a lot of people are always just like, oh, that that efficiency is just off the charts. It's been off the charts his entire career with Russell Wilson. There's a thing to be said when somebody just connects well with the quarterback. We've seen that throughout history. And yet, Tyler Lockett is the only one that seemingly gets the hate for it. Like, oh my God, how could you be so efficient with your quarterback? Well, okay, they're just great together. You want to complain about that? Again, I know you didn't say that. Um, If you look at the beginning of the season, again, the first half versus the second half is a little bit more stark than if you overlook his entire 
season as a whole uh, two years ago. A lot more consistency there, too. He doesn't need nine, ten targets per game because he is so efficient with Russell Wilson. But I understand that low-end wide receiver, too, where I have him. Like I feel that's a proper spot where you do inflate you know, DK Metcalf a little bit if they don't let Russ cook, as Brandon said, you know, and they are the same team from last year. And maybe you get a little bit more volatility. But the good news is that Tyler Lockett just continues to produce top 15 and you still get him at that discount every single year because people are so scared of him. And by the yeah. way, according to Sean Michael Duger, that no one can cover Tyler in the slot right now in practice. So. Are they allowed I mean, to cover him in the slot right now like in practice? Every year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, more it's, more it's, of the preseason hyperbole. Oh, and by go. the way, there's really not anybody that catches passes in Seattle that's not efficient because Russell Wilson's one of the most Russell efficient Wilson's quarterbacks in the league. Yeah. Most <laughs> damn efficient quarterback who's ever existed. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Paul, Pete Carroll and uh, and Brian Schottenheimer could throw w- Russell Wilson out in front of the TV cameras in a chef's outfit, and I would not believe that they were going to let him cook this season. <laughs> it is, they're not going to change their stripes. It's not going to happen. It's still going to be that same – maddening usage and it works for them i mean they're still there they are a good team year in and year out so it's to a degree hard to fault them that they don't want to change uh what they do offensively i think that we still can't fault them a little bit but it works year in and year out we're talking about them as a you know if not a just a playoff contender a high-end playoff contender so i'll believe it when i see it and that's really what worries me love obviously russell wilson you'd have to be uh, an idiot not to i really like tyler lockett the player i just don't think it just it concerns me a little bit is all I'm saying. The the week-to-week volume that he is not going to get concerns me just a little bit. So uh, so that's where I come in on Tyler Lockett. Um, let's move on to one more thing here, guys, before we wrap this up. It's a little idea that I thought would be kind of fun. Um, eat this, not that, the wide receiver edition. I think most people are familiar with the eat this, not that, right? This, this horrible fast food item, uh, but uh, you can find a version of it that's healthier and just as satiating and not quite as delicious if we're being honest, but still delicious enough and you're happy about it. You feel better about yourself. So we're trying to do that here at the wide receiver position. Now we're going to do it with a little bit of a caveat because we're not necessarily saying the not that version is something you should be avoiding. More of a, if you miss out on this, draft that. That's a better way to think about it, I think, here. The first one that I threw down, I'll just get us going here. The first one that I threw down. So we're looking for similar players, right? Guys who have similar skill sets, who find themselves in similar positions. The first one that I threw down uh, to get things going here is Tyreek Hill and Marquise Brown. Tyreek Hill, not just a guy who you can say, yeah, I'm going to get Tyreek Hill and end up with them. There's a lot of competition for him, whether it's a draft, you're going to have to have a high pick to get him, or you're, it's going to be a situation in an auction where you're going to have to pay quite a bit to get him. If you miss out on Tyreek Hill, I think a guy who you could go to and find not quite the exact same production, but similar production in a similar way is Marquise Brown, someone who you already talked about, Jake, a guy who uh, has a lot of the same skills that he has, that Tyreek Hill has, a guy who plays with an elite quarterback, Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, a guy who I think is unquestioned the number one wide receiver on his team, but who has to deal with a high-volume tight end. Obviously, Hill with Travis Kelsey, Marquise Brown with Mark Andrews. There are a lot of similarities between those two players. Tyreek Hill, you're going to have to use a late first, early round, early second round pick on him. Marquise Brown, mid six, early seven, he's still there. I think that's a nice fallback option. So that's the spirit of what we're talking about here. Jake, anyone come to mind for you in this discussion? Uh, the, can we go back to Amari Cooper? We, yes, we can. Continue, Absolutely. Continue to bang this drum of not drafting Amari Cooper. And if you're going to, hey, 
So just you are saying draft this, not that. I was saying if you miss out on this draft that, you're saying draft this, not that. Yeah, this is I'm going with full spirit of the book. It's like don't even <laughs> eat don't don't even taste, don't even go through the drive through. Just drive okay. right past the store. Say goodbye to Mari Cooper. Keep driving because you know what? There's another restaurant that's been around just as long. We just mentioned them. Don't draft Amari Cooper. Draft Tyler Lockett. Go get the discount and draft Tyler Lockett. Heck, you know what? Go draft Calvin Ridley, who we talked about before. Go draft Cortland Sutton, Cooper Cup, Terry McLaurin, T.Y. Hilton, even a healthy T.Y. Hilton. That's a question right now. Draft all of them because they're all going to be right there in the same conversation with Amari Cooper, but you have to go pay the $7 price when you can just go make it yourself for three. Well, yeah, uh, Michael, I was going to use your example, but not Marquise Brown. You know, I, I talked about the rookies earlier. Last year, A.J. Brown was wide receiver 15 as a rookie. The year before that, Calvin Ridley was wide receiver 19 as a rookie. The year before that, Juju Smith-Schuster was wide receiver 21 as a rookie. There's been a, basically a top 20-level rookie each of the last three years. And Henry Ruggs is a guy that gets compared to Tyreek Hill. And he's on a little bit more of a pass-heavy offense than mm-hmm. the Ravens. So is he the guy? Uh you know, as we talked about in the last pod, I think, or one of the last couple pods, he's the number one option there with the Raiders in that passing game. Is he the guy that's going to push that top 20 level? And he has a, you know, he's a rocket like Tyreek Hill is. And uh, maybe he's the, he's the eat this, not that of the Tyreek Hill equation. I mean, we, we all seem to like him. We all do seem to like, uh, to seem to like Henry Ruggs. And as we talked about in last week's episode, wide receiver ones, these guys are very valuable pretty much no matter the offense even the worst offense in the league all you got to do look at Terry McLaurin last year Washington was at or near the bottom in every single team offensive stat whether it was yards per game yards per play passing yards per game scoring they were bad they were very bad in some cases way worse than whoever ranked 31st and still Terry McLaurin had the year that he had last season. So wide receiver ones on their own team, never a bad guy to target. Here's one I want to put to you guys. Robert Woods, someone who, again, as consistent as they come at his level, right? You're not going to find very many guys who play at their level as consistently as Robert Woods does, as Robert Woods has his entire career with the Rams. And no reason to think that changes this year. And I do think that with Todd Gurley gone and all those touches, all that that high-volume guy who had to get the touches that he had to get while he was with the Rams, that maybe there's a little bit more volume for both Robert Woods and Cooper Cup this season. But Robert Woods, a top-20 wide receiver pretty regularly. There's going to be competition for him. If you go down about a round and a half later, that's where you're going to find Tyler Boyd getting drafted. And Tyler Boyd has put together two straight 1,000-yard seasons. Last year, he caught 90 balls. And yes, he did it largely with A.J. Green uh, out of the picture, entirely with A.J. Green out of the picture, in fact. Uh, But still, a 90-catch, 1,046-yard, five-touchdown season, again, on a team that was really bad. I mean, this team let Ryan Finley start three games. That's how bad this Bengals team was last year, 2-14. and 14. They get Joe Burrow. This could be a very different offense with a healthy A.J. Green back. And often, we saw Tyler Boyd back in 2018 do his best work with A.J. Green on the field. I know that's something you've talked about, Jake. Guys who can thrive as wide receiver twos but don't quite have the chops to be wide receiver ones. I think you can make an argument that Tyler Boyd is better off with A.J. Green in the mix. Well, yeah, I was going to bring that up, is that everybody argued he wasn't going to be as good if A.J. Green was back and then he plays better, or wasn't back and then he goes out and proves he can play as the number one. I actually think this is a great one, and I have a lot of Robert Woods, and I like Robert Woods, and I have him ranked ahead of Cooper Cup. But to your point, 
if you don't want to pay Ooh. the price, you know, depending on what draft you're in, you're the, Robert Woods is another one that we're talking about before. He's like, you're either going to get him or you're not, because if you like him, you're going to have to pay top 15 wide receiver price. If you don't, he's going there to somebody. Really? So if you don't want to pay that price, just wait on Tyler Boyd. Uh, Brandon, I know you're going to jump in, but I'll throw one more and you can, you know, comment on both of them. But I would say another good one in the same conversation It's for the same like theory or uh, I guess theme is the word I was looking for to what you just said, Mike is in a similar style player is everybody still wants to draft John Brown as a wide receiver three. Well, if you want somebody who's probably going to be touchdown reliant with questionable quarterback play now this year, don't draft John Brown as the wide receiver 35 or 36 off the board. Wait, not just another round. Wait, not just another two rounds. Wait, almost (laughs) three rounds later in the forties and draft Mike Williams of the chargers. I'm there so you glad you brought up Mike Williams. No one, <laughs> no one's talking about him. I think everybody's afraid to talk about him because we don't know what to make of this Chargers offense with Tyrod Taylor. Um, Justin Herbert's going to take over at some point. But Mike Williams was one of five players in NFL history to go over 1,000 yards last year with just one touchdown or less. Um, it was or was it two touchdowns? I can't remember, but either way, one or two touchdowns, but he's one of five players to do that with over a thousand yards. Um, You know, just a ridiculous talent. If they get any kind of reasonable quarterback play there, you know, he only had 49 catches. He doesn't need a ton of volume to be a really good player. We saw it the year before he had 10, he had 10 touchdowns, like 600 yards. I mean, he can, he should be, if he's some melding of the last two years, he's going to be way uh, undervalued in drafts this year. And he's a guy that I, I agree. You target late because there's so much upside potential. They just need, they just need competent quarterback play. And it's not unreasonable to think that between Tyrod Taylor and Justin Herbert, they can get that done. Uh, I think that's still going to be a pretty decent offense in general. And, you know, Mark, Mike Williams, you don't have to do a lot of complicated things with him. Just send him down the field and throw the ball up there. You know, that's his game, and uh, he can do it as well as anybody. So I, I like that comp. You know, Michael, you had uh, Michael Gallup as a comp there with him. But either way, I mean, guys that can can get vertical, if you you know, the early guys that you're taking, it's Mike Williams is the eat this guy <laughs> as, a, as opposed to those earlier guys for sure. Yeah, and let me just say about uh, Tyrod Taylor and Mike Williams and that pairing uh, that uh, go back to 2015 when Tyrod Taylor was getting his first run as a consistent starter for the Bills. That season also just happened to be the best season of Sammy Watkins' career. 60 catches, 1,047 yards, and nine touchdowns for Sammy Watkins. There's a difference in build, I think, between Mike Williams and Sammy Watkins, but similar styled players. There is, I think... Perhaps a stylistic fit between Tyrod Taylor and Mike Williams. So definitely like that call as well. Guys, I mean, we could do this forever. This wide receiver position is so much fun to talk about. It's so easy to talk about. We really could keep on going, but we've already been doing it for like 52 minutes here. So unfortunately, I'm going to have to call that a show. That's it for this episode no, of The Athletic. No, you're not. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. Hey, we, when All In Kid speaks, we let All In Kid go. What do you want to say before we wrap things up here? Well, it's not wide receiver related. Uh, I think we should talk about the breaking news that Miles Sanders is week to week, according to reports. Oh, oh. really? Yeah. So, you talk just about, see that come across Twitter? We, yeah, yeah. Talk about so Barry the Jeff lead. McClain, <laughs> yeah, Jeff McClain gave out the uh, the entire breakdown, and there was a lot of people. There was day to day on Goddard, day to day on Boston Scott, which people already knew about. But Miles Sanders lower body week to week, supposedly. Uh-huh. 
They said there's not a great concern. That's the quote. He's, there's not a great concern, but he'll miss some time to make sure everybody's healthy as possible. So I figured. All right. If you're, I feel about. like I feel like day to day is is a better terminology for someone who's not hurt that bad. Week to week sounds terrible. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's what I was going to say. So, here, I, I mean, I'll just go first since uh, I brought it up. I will yeah. say this. I agree with you, Brandon. Like, I don't like the week to week. When I saw week to week, you know, before even seeing the context of it, I mean, that sounds worrisome. I mean, you, you said at the top, Mike, we're three weeks away. Week to week, uh, you assume that's at least one, if not two <laughs> weeks, and then all of a sudden there's one week before the season starts. I'll say what I say every single year. I don't care about running backs who have already played getting ramped up. But go back to Le'Veon Bell being suspended. Like, that took that one week. Mm -hmm. It was a little bit disappointing, but then he was ready to roll. Uh, This would suggest Miles Sanders would at least get, like, a week of practice before the season starts. Uh, Where I'll go concerned, like, I'm not going to move him down. I'm not going to adjust my rankings for Miles Sanders, and you guys can differ than me. But if they sign somebody the next few days— then I'll mm-hmm. actually get a little bit concerned. Yeah, it was Devonta Freeman. Oh, yeah. Gosh. What if that somebody's Devonta Freeman? That's oh, exactly if it's Devonta Freeman, going. just full on panic, screaming the the Jonah Hill <laughs> gif. And you know what this does? I mean, I've I've been loving Boston Scott where he's been going. I've been getting him, and you know, in my mm-hmm. early drafts, I've been gobbling him up. But this will just boost him up right now, and maybe this ends up being nothing. And what will happen is it'll just take away Boston Scott's sleeper value because it's going to drive up his ADP temporarily until. Miles Sanders is back on the right track. So uh, that's like Jake bummer. with Clyde Edwards Hilaire all over again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> with the Damian <laughs> Williams. This Edwards. is my most owned players. Calm. Get away from my guys. <laughs> so, you're, so let's say let's say it's two weeks from now. Let's just say it's two weeks from now. That's really when a lot of people are going to be drafting. That's when most of my drafts are that you know, first week of September leading up to the season. Let's say it's then and he still isn't practicing. Then where do you think you're drafting? Ooh, I think that you would have to put him into the RB2 conversation. I think he would be in the – I mean, we're talking about that injury risk. You start talking about other guys around there like Todd Gurley and David Johnson where, you know, we're assuming they're healthy. All those guys have the similar talent level to be top 10 running backs if healthy, and I think that's where he would have to fall into that same range. I think it's a great yeah. call, those question injury question marks. You think you throw James Conner in that mix as well, Todd Gurley, um, David Johnson. I'd probably take him above those guys still. But he would be probably the first of that tier and fall out of the guys that mm-hmm. I would no longer consider part of the RB1 class. All right. Well, fingers crossed for Miles Sanders because uh, in our running back roundtable, which you can check out if you are a subscriber to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash fantasy football pod, that's going to get you 40% off your first year subscription. In that column, I wrote, uh, you, who is the toss-up you gave us, uh, Brandon? Miles Sanders or Joe Mixon, right? Yep. Yep, exactly. That was the toss-up, and I said uh, Miles Sanders, and my little one-sentence write-up was that uh, I think we're talking about Miles Sanders as a top-five running back next year. So, fingers crossed for Miles Sanders <laughs> that, that, that this does end up being closer to week and not week-to-week-to-week-to-week-to-week to week to week to week to week because that would definitely uh, be a big bummer in the fantasy world. Thank you so much for listening uh, to the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. Rate, review, subscribe. We love the subscriptions, the ratings and reviews. Those mean a lot to us, too, so please take the time to do that, especially if you like what you've been listening to. For Jake and Brandon, I am Michael Beller. Two of us, will, or the three of us, excuse me, will be back with you next Monday. You can catch the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast with Nando DeFino and Eric Moody tomorrow. Again, thanks for listening and have a great day.